Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I'm Christoph Newman. And I am Nate Jones. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. Yeah, that's true. We love talking about closure and we love um, just investigating the different uh, crooks and nannies that we find in, uh, in, in closure and talk about the, the different core functions. So that's what we're kind of on a kick for right now. We've been kind of diving through and focusing on different core functions throughout the last few weeks. And we've really haven't been having a lot of fun. I hope you guys are enjoying us, uh, us talking about it. Yes, if there's anything that you could define as being closure, it would be closure core <laughs> by definition, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So this week we're taking a look at let. Yes, the the humble and yet I don't know, absolutely essential <laughs> critical to your code. <laughs> what what could you do without bindings, right? Oh yes. Yes, I, 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 I can't, I mean, you could use def for everything. That would be a pathological way of going about it. But I think that if you did that, Richicky would come to your house and take your computer away from you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And so I guess maybe to clarify, what we don't want to talk about is how to use let. I, I think if you haven't crossed that bridge, it, it, maybe just pause the podcast, <laughs> go, go back through the closure, getting started tutorials, you know. But um, but what we want to talk about are all the all the interesting let tricks that we have discovered over the years that we use on a daily basis. Yeah, we. I mean, y- y- it's hard to find a function that you write that doesn't involve let. You know, you make, you, you got to make your local variables and uh, and, or the, actually not variables, your locals, <laughs> as we like to call them. Um, and so you know you you. You need to be able to, to to make names for your computations and, and be able to go about um, uh, making your your actual uh, code more concise. Um, but 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 how do we actually go about doing that? You know what what are the, what are the best ways that we you know making a variable or making making a local name you know that's simple is relatively straightforward. Um, one of the things that that I have come across a lot of times is I'll be in the middle of a let block and. Uh, I <laughs> I want to actually uh, print out what variable is right there because maybe maybe like maybe I have a let block that has you know five five locals that are being defined and the the third one is causing uh, a, a null pointer exception. Well, I can't just in my body print out what you know two and one were. Um, so I, I need to be able to print right in the middle of my let block. And so if you just put a print line in there, uh, it, <laughs> uh, let complains cause you, you know, you need to have an even number. So, um, the, the easiest way is just to throw a little underscore there at the beginning, uh, which is basically, you know, closures for, you know, ignore this, right? Yeah. The, the, the problem is you want to do something that has a side effect and, and the only way you're going to be able to just evaluate code without binding it to something is to like end your let block and open another let block and put that thing in the middle. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pain, right? Uh, to just, just because you want to like log out a value or something in the middle of a, a sequence of let assignments, cause you're trying to figure out what happened, what went wrong. Like you don't want to refactor your nesting to do that. 
So yeah, uh, by convention, an underscore often you see in like functional programming languages and Lisps is like the, the ignore it. You know, it's like placeholder. You like you can use it as a placeholder for bindings. Um, like when you destructure, or you you just use it as a placeholder. So you 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 do like underscore space and then your log or print line or whatever right there. You just throw that in the middle of your let block so that you can see something that's going wrong as you're debugging. <laughs> yeah, and what's what's interesting to me is I've used under like I did this I've done this pattern many times, um, but I only recently under uh, uh, was informed or learned that the underscore closure actually doesn't treat that any differently. You can use underscore as a variable name, like it will happily. I mean, if you you can you can print that value value out. You know, it's not like closure ignores it. It's just a convention for closure programmers that when you use that or you prepend a variable name with underscore, like underscore throwaway, um, that, that you know, closure programmers will ignore it, but closure happily goes ahead and, 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 and assigns something to that, to that value. Yeah, it's totally legal. <laughs> That's true. So if you find yourself all of a sudden writing other expressions with the underscore in it, maybe you should give it a proper name. <laughs> Perhaps, yes. But I would say, kind of in general, a lot of these let tricks really have to do with avoiding nesting, right? Like, like you want to you, you wanna do something without introducing another level of nesting. So like in this case, you want to do some assignments, and then you want to print something out for debugging, and then you want to do some more assignments, right? And so, so if you, if you didn't have a way, if you didn't have this idea of like, oh, let me just bind, even though this, this expression has no return value so let me just bind it to nothing you know the underscore then yeah like when i first started out in closure i found myself adding another nested let block inside the let block and the only thing between them was that <laughs> one line that was printing stuff out and so uh, i had a friend show me like oh no just just bind that bind the nil value you get back from print line <laughs> just bind that to underscore it's like, oh, okay, yeah, because because nesting is kind of painful, right? In Lisp and functional programming languages, like you you don't want nesting and nesting and nesting and nesting. It just it gets painful, right? Because fun functions grow as a fact as a as a function of their nesting, and it's not like in other languages where you can just have a bunch of statements and you can have functions that go past the end of your you know your window. You just have to scroll and scroll to see the whole function. You know, there's kind of a natural limiting. Um, feature of Lisp that it doesn't make it makes you want to not have those. And I agree. Like a lot of a lot of my early closure co closure functions had that let you know a single line let a single line let, and um, and over time you actually get develop like a a, um, a disgust like you know a, 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 a revulsion to that kind of you know because you're you're wasting nesting uh, for no good reason. Yeah, and so another another way that I would run into nesting early on is the situation where you need to create some more bindings, uh, aka variables, <laughs> variables that don't vary, right? <laughs> but Locals. you need to create some more bindings in terms of another variable that may or may not be nil, right? And so the idea is. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let's say I'm pulling a value out of a map, and and let's say that the key that that value I the key for that value didn't exist, so that, that I might get a nil back. If I if I didn't get a nil back, I want to 
do some more computations with that. But if I did get a nil back, I, I don't want to try to do those computations because maybe I'm going to start throwing exceptions, you know? And, yeah. and so, so then you, you have a choice where you pull that value out of the map and then you can end your let bindings and then you put your like if conditional there, like, do I have that? And then you put, if that's true, like I, I have some thing, then I go ahead and put another let block in there and start defining things. You know, so so you basically end up with two levels of nesting because you you you're ending your let block and then you have your if and another let block. But yeah, a, a nice trick for avoiding this is to use uh, some guard idioms there instead. Like for example, you can use and, right? So let's say let's say we're gonna have um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a number. Like if if somebody's um. Uh, uh, give me a number. <laughs> 42. <laughs> yeah, but what is it? Like, um, it's a, an age. Age. Okay. Not an IQ. Great. So let's say I want to, I want to have a flag, like whether this person's age is prime, you know, because if you're in the, you're the prime of your life, <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to pull age out, but you know, age is sensitive. Not everybody gives you age, right? So we pull age out. Age might be, might be nil. And, and so I do, I don't want to start doing math on a nil, right? It's going to throw that's yeah. Don't, don't, don't do math on nils. (laughs) But if you do like, and age, now you can do whatever you want, right? Because, because then the, it, it will, the nil will just pass through. If it's nil, and will just fail immediately on the nil, and it will just give you a nil back. And and if and succeeds because it was something, well, now you can do whatever computation you want, knowing it's not nil, or I guess in this case, false. Right. Right, <laughs> right nil or false in that case, yes. Yeah, I think um, I think a- another example would be um, we've like we've said before, we work with sports data. And um, say we get a uh, a game, you know, like a, a game, a competition game ID, um, f- like from the UI. We wanna we wanna calculate all the information about that game. We wanna, we wanna calculate the, you know, we wanna we wanna, we wanna look up the start date and we wanna look up the lineup. And um, so we have a we have a let that gets the the game ID out of the request, and then we have we wanna get we wanna make sure we have both the the starting time and the lineup before we do anything with that data. So the person, the, the user might have sent us a bad uh, game ID. So we need to basically be able to make sure we have both of those pieces of information. So instead of nesting, I guess it would be three levels, you know, is the game ID there? Is the time start time there? Is the lineup there? We can actually just have, have it in three lines in a let block. The first line is grabbing out the game ID from the request. The second one is getting the start time and then using something that we, I, I I think I actually learned this from you, um, is using the sum threader um, with uh, functions that drill into my VAT of data, you know, into the database or in some memory data structure that grabs the start time for the match. So basically it can be like, you know, sum arrow, you know, game ID, and then look up the game and then grab the time st- the, the start time out of it. And so if any of those things is nil, it'll shortcut and the game start will be nil. And then same thing for lineup. You say lineup and you do 
you know, go look for the lineup and then, you know, process the lineup. Like every one of those things would, would return a nil if the, if, a line, if the lineup or the game ID wasn't there. And so then in the end, we have two, we can just say when, you know, and, and then in the body, when and game, uh, sorry, game start and um, lineup. And we can do our processing. So it's basically one level of let and then a win around what we want to actually process. Yeah, so the the, the big idea there is you're going to make several conditional definitions in your in your let block, and they're all going to fast fail, right? So if, if you didn't end up uh, fetching anything out with that first uh, assignment, all the rest, if it, you know, you can do when and the variable and some expression, or you could do some and the variable and then some threading, you know, some arrow, or you could do and, you know, a few the, like various guards. But all those, if they're nil, they're just going to fail immediately and assign those values to be nil. So then once you kind of like, so it lets you put all of your logic together in a nice clean row so you can just read it. As, as a developer, just kind of read through like, okay, here is how everything is calculated. And and it also even lets the the reader know, you know, the, the you in six months reader. <laughs> lets totally. the reader know like, hey, some of this stuff might not work out, right? Like like you'll get a nil. Don't don't trust the match ID will always be there. <laughs> right. And then you, and then after that, you have your when condition or your if condition, where you just and on all these variables, and and the some of them may be nil, and it will it will quit and it will do it will do the else. It's interesting. You said you said you know you can use a when or a sum threader, and I didn't realize this before, but a sum threader is essentially like a, a series of nested wins. It's basically winning yeah. on every on every value. If you want, if you have one of a multiple levels of win, so uh, you can use right. the sum threader, and it's much more concise. And I really like the point that you made about when you, when there's when or 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 sum threader in there in the let block in the in the the computation side, it's a it's a clue that this variable might not actually be there. Yeah, yeah, it informs a re- reader. Well, actually, so you did. You brought up or, so we should talk about or because or is a great way to do some defaults. So, so for example, if you are gonna pull out a value, and it may or may not be there, you can use or to then uh, provide a default. So that's that's like an idiom for doing defaults in a let block. If you haven't seen that one before. Oh right, right, right. And so. Obviously, you have to be careful uh, with booleans because then, or if it found a value and it was false, <laughs> then that's not going to work out like you think it is. Um, so that's when you can use uh, other other things like, uh, for example, you could use um, if or or some, right? Like some threading is nice because it's just really clear. It's all about whether or not it's nil. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, the nice thing about sum threading is it's really just checking for nil and it won't it won't it won't trigger on false. False is not nil. <laughs> right. Thankfully. Yeah. I mean, you can always use if too. So if you have a value, so so if you do an assignment to a value, so back to our uh match ID and we're not sure if that match ID is going to be there or not. 
uh, then you you can always do an if in in right there in your let block too, right? You know, if some match ID, then you know do something. Otherwise, do some some other thing. You know, and so I I coming from my imperative background where you know giant if statements are a thing and and if blocks don't return values sometimes i forget oh yeah like just do just do a quick little one line if yeah, uh, it's right very in concise line. in lisp you know it's really it's like the word if the short conditional and then two more things you know and and so you you can get defaults that way too yeah and it's one of the one of the Speaking of one of the things we talked about in the past is one of the ways you can make that if even more concise is if you take the the check or the test, if it's any if it has any level of complication there, pulling it out and making it its own function so that you can read it. Um, again, na- na- naming your computation and naming your variables is a very useful way of making things understandable um, for you and you six months from now. <laughs> yeah, so for example, in this in this case with uh, uh, match ID, you know, you could you could pull out the match ID, and then in the next line, you could assign a conditional like match dash exists question mark, right? And then and then call like some question mark on the match ID, and now now you have like a really clear like named conditional that you can then use later on in your if blocks if you wanted to, you know, and match exists, etc. Or if match exists. And so, so you might as well give it a name, and and it makes it easier to understand the the goal of the conditional, and and that that is especially true in these these let blocks where you're trying to do a series of different computations, often dependent computations, like all in a row. It's it's like your prep space in in the kitchen, right? It's like you're you're going to be baking this cake. But first you have to mix the dry ingredients, and then you have to mix the wet ingredients, and then you have to you know, uh, preheat some other thing. And so now you have four separate bowls of things that are all going to come together. Well, your your let block is where you kind of arrange those different ingredients together <laughs> to get them ready to mix together in the body rather than spreading that all out. Right. Yeah, it's, it's much easier for the instructions in a recipe to say mix together the four bowls instead of mix together... Oh, uh, get a bowl and crack the eggs into it, and oh, get another bowl. And you know, if it's all those things are in line, it is technically correct. But but the let block, you know, lets you <laughs> uh, lets you move those instructions to a different place. So basically, it's all about the prep. And I, and and I think oh, that's man. one of the things that that I I was that just I've, thinking. I had this visual imagery of like, could you imagine a recipe that was like, uh, okay, mix together, and then it's like start sub sub process and and it's like okay get bowl start sub process you know and then like uh put flour in bowl you know put put you know whisk together in sub process like like a recipe that actually never named anything and it was just one giant nested literal <laughs> it would be like impossible to follow right like some of my early code <laughs> so why why do we do this to ourselves in programming right so like the biggest power of let is the power of giving something a name so you know like what the heck you're trying to do yeah and i think that's one of the like there's i I was kind of cruising through our lets in our code and we use uh, lets all over the place of course and and i came across some functions at least a few that where there was basically a let a let block with one assignment and then 
than the body. And that was it. And I was like, well, why there is there even a let? Like, I can understand if there's a let block when you're using a variable more than once. Like, that's often when I want to introduce a let. But it's for exactly the case that you just said. The By naming a part of the computation, you make the body computation easier to understand and more concise. Yeah. It makes it so that you can understand it by itself. It's almost like you're doing you're building up a little tiny abstraction inside of the function and and then and then helping your future self understand the body. Cuz sometimes the body like actually like the the construction of the when or the if or whatever you're doing in the body is hard enough without having to figure out where all the where all the balls came from. Yeah, that that's a great point. And I would say in general, like don't be afraid to get some work done in the middle of the let block. It, it it's okay to have a a little threading macro where maybe in the first line you extract out a sequence and then in the second line you run you take that sequence and you run some map and filter on it and assign that. And then in the third line you take that sequence and you run some group by and then uh, you know, pick out the subgroup and then filter, right? So it's like, okay to, it's okay to get some work done in this let block, name all those parts. And then in, in your body, that's where all the parts kind of come together. And so it's nice because one's like really low level and one's like a high, higher level combination. Right. You have both levels in the same function, but you're, but you're putting them in, in each area um, as appropriate. Yeah. When you said, don't be afraid to do a little, a little bit of work. Um, my mind actually went to not like you talked about pure work, but my mind went to um, actual IO work. Like there's times where we have, I have, I have like where I'm connecting to Kafka and I'm like, I need to grab out the connection parameters. So that's the first line. And then I need to connect to Kafka, which is the second line. And then I need to like assign that variable. Like I, so I, to, to that, so sometimes the, the, the underscore, you know, pattern is not just for logging. It's actually for do, connecting to a database or connecting to, you know, do some sort of IO um, because then it's up and it's done and you can get to the meat of the body later. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Like it's easy to approach a let block as, oh, I need to assign four different variables. So here's four different lines. But Another way to approach a let block is as a, a sequence description where, where each binding is like a step in the sequence because they're dependent steps and you want to name them or, or you need to name them along the way. And, and so that would be a, I would say, a counterintuitive or unintuitive use of let if you hadn't seen it before. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it kind of looks a bit if you squint at it like imperative programming, like that you're, and it and it it is, but it is imperative programming. <laughs> but but sometimes there's things that you the, the world foists upon you that things have to happen in a certain order. We can't just go off into our tower of pure functions. We have to do something, and we have to do steps one through four. We have to do them in that order, and so like a let block is is kind of our a little bit of our escape hatch or one of our escape hatches. Right. The, it, a program without I.O. is useless, right? There's no way to get the data in or out. <laughs> if, only, if, only for warming your, your room. Right. If, if a program does a computation, but nobody ever heard about it, did, <laughs> did it actually do oh, the man. computation? And so, so uh, my point is, we love functional programming, but sometimes even in functional programming, you have imperative. Like we, we, we want pure transforms we want pure computation 
but you have to handle imperative. And and this you treating a let block as a sequence of steps where you're in, in assigning your intermediate values is is a really clean way of handling an imperative sequence. Yes, yes. But you know, not 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 to to knock just assigning variables down too much because there's a lot of that that we do. And 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 that gets towards the, the magic of destructuring, of being able to to not just assign simple values, but to be able to like deeply reach into uh, a data structure and be able to concisely pull data out of it um, is one of the things that I really have not encountered in, in other languages. And I, I use it a lot, um, especially for pulling things out of maps um, with the keys the deconstructure, de- de- destructuring. Yeah, if, if we go back to the ingredient prep, analogy in cooking. I don't know why that always feels so apt for what we do, but but yeah, you're you're getting your destructuring is nice, right? You have all these ingredients that showed up and and you can think of them as like little boxes full of spices. And so now you're going to reach <laughs> into each of these boxes and you're going to start picking out the ingredients that you need for this particular computation. And so destructuring is just such a nice concise way but it's still conceptually it goes back to this big idea of using let blocks to to get all the pieces in order that you need to go ahead and put it all together there at the end. Yeah, definitely. I mean you 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 could get along just fine without destructuring, but 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 once you get and there there's a lot of ways you can make destructuring like you can pre- nest it pretty pretty far and it can get a little a little hairy. Um, but, but it's something that's really worthwhile, worthwhile learning. And, uh, and, and to speak to your analogy, I think it's funny that we keep coming back to cooking metaphors, even though we're in an engineering field, why aren't we using like, you know, building metaphors or like bridge metaphors. But I feel like a lot of times we're more cooking than we are, um, engineering sometimes. Yeah. There's definitely a, a certain art to it for sure. Well, and just, just for completeness, um, there are a few forms of of let that you may not be aware of that are useful and that are that's if let when let or if sum and when sum which are just very convenient ways of of getting rid of one level of nesting right where, where you you have to define something and bind it to a value and and you want it to be either like um truthy or or not be nil like exist before you use it and so it just lets you collapse a let block and then a win block or a let block and an if block together to kind of get rid of that layer of nesting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the only the only problem I have with those is that they're, they only take one form. They only take one, one mapping. Um, I wish yeah. sometimes that I could make it so that it was multiple mappings. But I understand that there, it's actually a pretty common use case where you want to let bind one thing and then call if on it. So... Yeah, winsome. Winsome just sounds like a fun function. That's why I like it so much. Yeah, and and honestly, like that's how I ended up using guards in if statements more is because I really do enjoy using like when winsome and winlet or if some and if let, but they only take they only take one binding. I suppose maybe we could have agreed like the last binding should have been the one or the first binding should have been the one, <laughs> but they only take one binding. And so when I needed when I needed two bindings and then I wanted to check the combination uh, uh, like the outcome of the second one 
then I ended up using a let block with a guard. And, and by guard, I mean using an and or an or, or like a guarding idiom. And, and then having a win inside it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think if it was more if it was more complex, it would be harder to use. So I, I appreciate the simplicity of what's in core. And there's actually libraries out there that give you win sums with multiple bindings if you if you want that complexity. It's not actually and it doesn't end up actually being that much code. Um, the other one that comes to mind is letfn, which I have never actually used, but it does kind of something you said earlier, where you have a um, a uh, you you ha- you bound uh, a little predicate about the, does the match ID exist, and so when you said that, I thought, oh well, there's we can use letfn for that. Um, yeah, it's it letfn. I have used it. The case where I've used it is the case where normally you would be using a closure for something like a function literal. So like for example, in a map statement or a reduce statement or something like that. Um, and, and you want two things, you, like one of two things, you want to give it a name for clarity. So let FN lets you give it a name for clarity, or it's going to be inside of some kind of loop and you don't want it to get redefined over and over and over again. Right. So, so you can, you can use let FN to define a closure and, and give it a name without it getting redefined over and over and over. Interestingly enough, you can also just let and then a very like a binding and then a closure also. Um, but letfn gives you gotcha. yeah, letfn gives you some uh, some more features that I can't remember off the top of my head. Instead of doing that, well, I think have we have reached all of our let tricks or all the let tricks we have time to talk about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are ones that we're going to remember in 15 minutes. <laughs> one, one thing I wanted to point out is is that let is actually not a function. All the times we've talked, the episodes we've led up to this, we've either talked about functions or one or two macros. But let is not a function. It's a special form, which means that it actually is interpreted by the compiler. Like it's not, it doesn't follow the standard semantics. It is not even a macro. It's actually like built into the closure compiler. Um, so it's kind of a fun, I actually went and looked for it. I couldn't find the source code for for let because it's, of course, it's built into the into the walls around me. So I can't like, it's not like a function somewhere. So it's an interesting um, thing to think about. If you go look at the special forms um, page on the on the closure website, uh, what things actually are special forms? They're actually like not 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 defined in closure itself, so to speak. Um, so what you're saying is in core, let is really really core. <laughs> it's, it's so core. It's it's like ingrained into like, it's like the, the fabric. The, the corest of the core. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, something that just seems so simple. And I would say in functional programming, part of part of the the hoops to jump through is if you haven't come from a functional programming background, there's some of these idioms and tricks and things that weren't really needed in imperative languages and or even in in a multi-paradigm language where you can reach for the imperative syntax. To, as an escape hatch. But then when you're in a purely functional language like Clojure, then all of a sudden you're stuck. And so it's it's just fun to go through some of these tricks and uh, and share what we've learned over the years. Yes, help your code be more idiomatic. So if you out there have any, um, any cool let uh, idioms that you've come up with or cool let tricks, uh, please uh, shoot us an email at 
feedback at closuredesign.club or tweet at us on Twitter at Closure Design. Uh, or the best option by far is hop into the Closure Design po- podcast channel on the Closure Arena Slack and, um, and let us know. Then we will start a thread and discuss your very cool let tricks. So come on in. Yeah, I'd love to, love to hear them. And also go check out closuredesign.club on the web. You can see all the past episodes, various show notes. There is quite a lot for you to check out. So if you haven't been there already, just hop on over to closuredesign.club. Cool, cool. All right, it's been fun chatting about Let this week, and we'll be back again next week with more closure talking. All right, thanks for listening. 